0: This message comes to you from City Bible Church in Portland, where we are committed to living like Jesus and sharing His love. It is our prayer that this message blesses and enriches your life. My name is Nathaniel. I grew up in the church, been around church all my life. As I progressed through my teen years, I I lost my girlfriend, I lost my job, I lost all the things that mattered to me uh, more than a relationship with Jesus. So I made the conscious decision to do life on my own terms. Um, I remember vividly praying to God saying, you had your chance with my life and this is what I got out of it. It's my turn now. I, I, I don't care what you have to offer me because I can probably run it better than this. I was so low that I began to think of the worst things, the, uh, how can I just end it? Um, and I, I was driving into work, uh, with my dad because I probably didn't have any money for gas at the time, but, uh, he played a song for me on the radio. And I remember the first line of that song (laughs) is you're good when there's nothing good in me. And, uh, I remember those words resonating because I understood in in that moment that this is how far I've come. I've distanced myself so far. I began to understand that that the decisions I was making were not only making my life miserable, but they were hurting the heart of God. I realized that that I I could come to Him with my brokenness, I could come to Him with my pain and find fulfillment that no drug could give, no, no night out on the town could, I could find, and that he began to, uh, to lift me up and carry me through this valley that, that I couldn't get out of. It's such a blessing for me to be able to, to look at myself in a mirror and not only not recognize who I was two years ago, but, but look at myself as, as Christ would see me, and I've discovered a life that I never knew I could have in Jesus.
1: That is what it's all about. What is story? You know, when you, hear, when you hear a story like that, I think that the reality is is that we can all relate because life's very similar for each one of us. Now, the circumstances might be different, the challenges might be custom-tailored for you, but the reality is when it all is said and done and you take off your Sunday's best attire and you just kind of face reality is that, you know what, life's tough. Life's a challenge. Life's filled with mistakes and setbacks and... There's some successes, and there's some opportunities, but there's some failures. Why? Because we're human. And you know, we're starting this series called Real Life is because we're just trying to push aside all of the busyness of life to try to figure out really what real life is all about. And last week, we talked about this idea that life's a series of experiences, They're snapshots, that when you look at your life today, when it's all said and done, there's going to be, there's going to be a snapshot of today. The way you behave, the thoughts that you thought, the things that you did, you can't change those. It's a snapshot of your life. And as life goes on every day, every situation, it's another snapshot. It's a, it's another picture of your life. And the longer that you do life, the more pictures that are on your wall, so to speak, and it, it makes this collage or this mosaic of your life. And all of those pictures represent one thing, the real you. And we've asked this question a few times already, and, and I think it's an important question. If I was to take a camera out this morning and take a picture of your life, and you're looking at your picture... Who have you become? Are you happy with the real you? The reality is, is that you are a byproduct of your past. You have become you as a result of Everything that has happened in your world and your life. Some of the things you allowed to happen, some of the things you caused, some of the things happened to you, but it's the midst of all of these experiences and trials and challenges, and more importantly, our response to them that creates this montage that makes up you. Are you happy with you? That's really what this series is all about. Who have I become? What's real life all about? Why am I here? What's happening in me? This quest for purpose and and significance and acceptance and belonging and all of these things that I'm just reaching out. What's going on with this thing called life? So we're going to try to unpack it during our series to talk about this whole idea of real life because the reality is You make something out of life or life will make something out of you. You can wake up today and all of the challenges that you face and just react to what's in front of you and you can just say, okay, I kind of just dealt with stuff as it came and I put my head on my pillow and drool and call it a day. Life happened to you. Or we can push it all aside even though it comes our way and say, no, I'm going to live more purposeful. I want to live real life according to the way that Jesus intended me to. That's what this whole series is about. And we're going to be looking at, throughout these eight weeks, we're looking at a teaching of Jesus called the Beatitudes. There's these eight things, these eight statements that Jesus said that said, if you can do these eight things, you'll experience real life. And he teaches this in a a larger setting called the Sermon on the Mount. It's one of the largest or longest teachings of Jesus. And he talks about these eight things that are easy to understand, but they're so hard to live out. And he starts each one of these eight attributes with these, with these four words. He, he starts every one by saying, hey guys, listen, glad you're here and glad you're wanting to hear from me, but let me tell you, as we unpack these ideas for your life, there's four foundation stones you've got to get. And he says this, God Blesses those who. Eight times he says that. In other words, he's wanting you to really get this. He starts off by saying, God. In other words, he's saying, everything that you have came from him. Now, you might like to think that you had something to do with it, but the Bible says all things were created by him and for him. Everything that you have, whether you realize it or not, actually came from God. So he starts off by saying, God. He brings up the second statement. He says, God blesses. In other words, God wants to unlock something to you. The very thing that you desire in life, the only things love, acceptance, peace, joy, happiness, contentment. The things that you want, God wants to give you. He wants to bless those upon your life. And everybody in the crowd's going, Yeah, right, amen, thank you, we'll receive it. But then he begins to kind of qualify. God blesses everybody, goes, yes, and he goes, though, and they go, wait a second, those? He's basically saying this, there's some contingencies to be a part of the real life club. (laughs) All of a sudden, they go, wait a second, you mean there's a chance that I won't experience that, or there's a chance that maybe it's going to pass me by, or this divine joy, or this complete sufficiency, this inner happiness that you're talking about, it might just blow right over me. He's going, yep, that's exactly right. I want to give it to y'all. Kind of sounded a little Texan right there, didn't it? <laughs> y'all. But he says, it's contingent upon those, and then he says, who? Which is the launching pad, and he makes it very specific, and he goes, those who follow these eight attributes. And the bottom line, what Jesus is trying to teach us in this whole series, and what what we see throughout these eight Beatitudes is this. Giving up all of our life is what's needed to receive real life. It's hard because we want Christianity But we don't want to pay the price. We want to live, just don't want to die. We want Jesus, but we want the other lovers. It's our culture. It's it's the way we live. We love all of the carnal appetites and the delicacies of our society. We want them and want to enjoy them. We want you. And Jesus says, time out. God blesses those who... He begins to talk about these things. Last week, we looked at that first attribute where we talked about blessed are those who are poor and realize their desperate need of him. Basically, Jesus started off this whole beatitude thing by saying, hey, listen, if you don't position yourself like a beggar before him, count the rest out. This is the beatitude of all beatitudes, the foundation. If you don't recognize that he's your everything, you're going to have a hard time doing life. Because a lot of people, they do this. They get just enough Jesus in their life to make their life miserable. Think about it. It says you got to die in order to live. If you didn't hear that, I'd encourage you to jump on the website, get your e-news, open it up. You should sign up for that. Listen to last week. I think it'd be, it would be instrumental for your life. But Jesus takes this next step in the journey, and he says, well, let me me give you another real life truth here. He said, God blesses those, Matthew 5, 4, God blesses those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Now, in our westernized way of thinking and in the English vernacular, we would look at that and go, okay, well, God blesses those that are going through trials and tribulations, and maybe you're dealing with a sickness or a disease or there's a tragedy, so God comes to comfort you. That's what I thought for years actually what Jesus was saying. It couldn't be further from what Jesus was saying. And he begins to unpack this this idea to his audience and they're kind of leaning into the fact that there is these blessings that are going to come their way, and when you look at this particular word and you begin to see what he's trying to say, he's 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 giving a deeply challenging principle here, and this this is really what Jesus was trying to say. I'll put it in English for you: Real life is found in those whose heart is broken from the sinful behavior of humanity. That's what that word "mourn" means. It means that your heart is broken because of your sin and the price that was paid as a result of it. And not just you, but all of humanity. Now, I didn't think that that's what that word said. I'm going, well, time out here. I like the the other interpretation better. But Jesus is saying, No, listen, the only way for you to experience a blessed life, a real life where you'll be comforted in a life of joy, he says it starts by mourning, godly sorrow. And again, I am sure just like you this morning, these people that were out on the field and they're listening to think, Well, just a second, Jesus, you kinda, you're, you're kind of communicating an oxymoron. You're saying, Happy are those that are sorrowful. Hello. Doesn't make sense. I mean, or maybe you mean when I'm broken, I'm joyful. When I mourn, I'm blessed. Jesus is saying, yeah, that's that's what I'm saying. And this morning we want to we want to talk about this because it's not talked a lot about in church these days, especially the American church. It's it's an unpopular thing to talk about this idea that you have sin that broke the heart of God. Don't like to say that. It's kind of a little unpopular. The reason why we're saying it is because we like to preach the Bible. And we actually think that if we face and confront this kind of truth in our own lives, we'll have real life. When you look at this word, when when Jesus said, Blessed are those who mourn, in their language that word mourn, it means something different does. It actually meant this. It meant to lament or to show grief, to be shameful, to weep. It meant to be broken. There was this, this place in your world or your life where you realized an action, a thought, a behavior actually broke or did something that caused you to feel shameful. This thing called conscience that God gave every single one of you. It's all of a sudden in your conscience you're going, I feel so bad because not what it did to you, but what it did to him. And that's what even in the Webster's it says, to feel or to show great sadness. And again, I tried to to take the liberty to put it into a different different meaning, real mourning for me. It kind of means this. It means the revelation that our sins break the heart of a loving, holy God, where we recognize That those things that we hide that seem kind of inconsequential or seem minimal or trivial, those things that we go, oh, God, forgive me for for my attitude. That was bad. Or forgive me for getting mad. Or forgive me for looking at the computer at that picture. Well, God, yeah, forgive me. And See, no, wait a minute. Stop and think about it. Jesus is saying this. The people that are going to be blessed recognize that their behavior break my heart. And there's a difference between regret, personal consequence, and godly sorrow. Most people, when they're confronted with their behavior, here's our first tendency, because it's kind of the survival of the fittest mentality, is that way, if I got caught doing something, we begin this personal assessment, like, what is it going to cost me? I mean, what's the price I got to pay? I mean, what's the damage? I mean, let's just look at all the pieces and let's try to salvage the situation. And oftentimes we look at when we are confronted with our sin, we begin to say, okay, what's the effect on my life? I mean, mean, how's this going to, what's going to go on in me? That's not godly sorrow. It's where you come to the realization where you say, it's not how is it going to affect me, what is it going to do to me? but what did it do to him? You could could give a rip about your personal consequence because you're so broken that you hurt him. That's what Jesus is saying. here: saying, blessed are those who come to that place. Real life, <laughs> happy, doesn't that make you feel good? It reminds me of the story of this, this young boy lived out in the country, and because of where they lived, they didn't have any kind of septic system, so they had a, an outhouse that sat down by the creek. And this little boy, he despised the outhouse because it's real hot in the summer, cold in the winter, regardless of the temperature, it always smelt. And so he thought one day, you know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to be a little mischievous, and I'm going to push this thing into the creek. So he's looking around, no one's around, and he, he takes this outhouse, and he leans up against it, and he goes, boom, pushes it, and it lands right in the creek, and it kind of floats down. stream. Well, that evening, he sits down at the dinner table, and his dad says, son, uh, after dinner, we're going to go to the woodshed. For punishment. He's going, what are you talking about, dad? He says, well, he says, it turns out that someone pushed the outhouse into the creek, and I think that was you. He goes, okay, dad, that was me. I'm so sorry. I'll admit it. I'll tell the truth. Okay, please. I don't want to be punished. I did it. I did it. His dad goes, that's okay, but you're still going to get a whooping. And he looks at his dad, kind of his last plea. He goes, but dad, don't you remember George Washington's story? He goes, he told his dad that he cut down the cherry tree and he didn't get in trouble. His dad says, I remember the story, son. The difference was George's dad wasn't in the cherry tree when he cut it down. Kind of paints a picture of this whole story. All that he was concerned about, personal cost. He didn't care who was floating in the outhouse. Nor the mess that it caused on his dad in the outhouse. Can I ask you a real honest question today? Can we we just kind of be real? When was the last time you were broken before God for your behavior? I mean, genuinely broken. Where you take it off you and you recognize that what you did cost a perfect, holy, loving God to be smashed to a cross in your place. That's what Jesus is saying here. I want to give you blessing. But unless you get the toxic poison out of your heart, you can't live real life. Here's the challenge that we face. (laughs) I wish it was different, but we're all born into this world with this thing called sin, it's sin nature. It's not necessarily what you do in as much as it's who you are. You're simply born that way. You're born with this thing called sin nature. You can't teach sin because it's a part of you. It's intrinsic to your nature. Without Jesus being Lord of your life, you can't help but to sin because it's who you are. When you think about your children, I mean, people go, I don't know if that's true. People say, well, you know, people are basically good. Really? Maybe in some sense, but reality is, is at the core, got some problems. I remember that illustration with my youngest daughter, Elisa, love with all of my heart. We used to have this ongoing ritual with our kids that if there was a An area where they needed to be punished, we would take them privately into the bathroom. We would sit them down very calmly. We would let them know what they did, the mistake that they made. We would tell them why it was wrong. We would ask them to say, hey, listen, is there something you want to change? Yes, Daddy, I'm sorry. They would be disciplined. We would pray, and then we would kind of skip out of there being happy. This one morning in particular, I was with Elisa just to kind of belabor this point a little bit. And we were talking through this, this one particular issue, and she's just really struggling with it because she wasn't, like, getting the point, you know, she's a little strong-willed and saying, no, I'm just not going to, I just don't know if I did something wrong. And she's real mad, and finally I said, you know, we, we need to move on with this thing. And she finally, she looked at me, and she goes, Dad, I just want to let you know, she goes, I'm sitting in my body, but I'm still standing in my heart. And I'll never forget that because it, it kind of capsulates or encapsulates, it portrays this idea that even though there's certain things that we want to do, we kind of do things otherwise. And Jesus is trying to help us understand that because you live that way, if you don't mourn, you'll get a a distorted perspective of life, of God, of your purpose, of values, because you're bent to live this way, not this way. And it's kind of like coming into, uh, into a situation where you've kind of got your glasses on a little bit different, you know. And you kind of have the truth a little bit, but you come into a worship service, and you're just worshiping, and you're wondering why. You just can't seem to connect, like, where's God, and I can't see him, and where's he at? And through your life, you're all struggling. You just go, man, I just don't know where he is in my life. And the reality is, we can't see straight or right because we have distorted truth in our life. Because mourning has caused us to kind of see distortedly. We kind of just walk through life bumping into stuff, allowing stuff to happen. And Jesus is trying to help us, but we just kind of just go, (laughs) kind of what we look like to him sometimes. You all look very funny right now. Right? So Jesus comes and says, listen, blessed are those who face the reality that their sin cost me everything. And when you land there in your heart, He then says this, for they shall be comforted. When you finally get to that place, you begin to experience real life. He said, those of you that are trying to save your life, you'll lose it. What's he saying? Those of you that try to protect all of this stuff and live a double life, you're going to live your entire life dead. You'll never live. But those that lose everything, put it all at his feet, they'll save it. they have this life. And so Jesus comes and begins to show us this idea that real life is possible for us. If we can get to this point in our life, and again, I know there's people in this room, people that are listening online all over the world, that are at different parts of the journey. For some of you, this is new and tough and hard. For some of you, maybe even being a Christian 20, 30, 40 years, the reality is you face the same thing as the person that's still trying to figure it out in the end. How do I live this life of genuine brokenness before God? How do I make it a lifestyle? Well, Jesus promises us a couple things, and I want to look at those this morning. Some real life promises that will help us this morning as we kind of unpack this thing. The first thing that I I look at, the promise that we see from Jesus, is that real life promises us eternal life. We're just here for a short time and then we move on, but in order to move on to a place called heaven or eternal relationship with Jesus, We have to begin our relationship by mourning over the fact that our sins broke the heart of God. And I look throughout Scripture and I see people that have modeled that. I think of the prostitute in in Luke 7, 37 and 38. And she came into the house where Jesus was with a bunch of Pharisees. And it says that when she came into the house, she had some expensive perfume. It says that she got right in front of Jesus and it says that she reigned Tears on his feet. What a beautiful picture of brokenness. It wasn't like, oh yeah, I shouldn't be sleeping around like that. <laughs> she, she came into the presence of Jesus himself. And she saw herself for who she was. She began to weep tears on his feet. Wiping his feet with her hair and pouring all of her expensive perfume on his feet. She's kind of like, ah! And Jesus points her out and says, now this is a woman that will experience. I think of the tax collector, again, just so caught up in money and greed and pride when he came to his senses. It says in the scripture, it's very clear in Luke 18, 13, it says that he stood off in a distance. He couldn't even get close to Jesus. And it says that he dared not even look to heaven when he prayed. But instead, he beat on his chest. And so he's like, I can't even look. Oh, man, what my life is done. And he came to that place called, ah. Jesus says, yeah, that's, that's a good starting point. What did he do? He honored him in front of everyone else. The prodigal son, the story where the, the young man goes and takes all of his possessions and spends them all. and It says, and when he came to his senses, he said, I'm going to now go tell my father that I've sinned and I'm no longer worthy to be called his son. When we get there, he says that's the beginning of a relationship with Jesus. It's where eternal life comes. Some of you today are going to get the opportunity to make this decision, to start real life today. Today. For a lot of us, again, maybe in this room, there's, again, hundreds and hundreds of people that maybe have made that decision, but we go to the next promise, and that is is that real life promises us continual grace. we got to be careful because we've got this movement happening in the body of Christ today called greasy grace. I mean, it's just like we use it as a license to sin. It's like, oh yeah, his grace is there so I can just continue to live life. Hey, he died for anything. You know what Paul said? He said, just because grace abounds, does that mean that sin should all the more abound? Paul says this, God forbid. God forbid. You would think that way. All that grace is is just kind of a get out of jail card when you blow it, but it's like saying, get back on track. And here's what I found out about mourning. If I don't get down on my knees before the Lord every day, and if I don't get to that place where I pour my whole life, all my sins, everything before him every day, it's hard to live life with a tender, clean conscience. Even if I do it liturgically every day, okay, God, let me go through my list, God, forgive me of my sins, forgive me when I I got angry at that person, got mad at that person, had that bad thought, Jesus' name, amen. What happens over time is that you get a calloused conscience that separates you from a relationship with Jesus. It's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, get before me every day. Pour out your heart. Stop and recognize that a daily life of mourning produces a real life of blessing. Continual grace is available, but grace starts with godly sorrow. Come into that place where every day... And this is something, again, it's it's hard to get up to talk about it in front of this because it's not a popular theme in churches today, but we're talking about How do we find real life? How do we get past all of the things that we're dealing with and struggling with to finally find this thing called abundant life? It starts on your knees. And if you start that way and then you live that way, the third thing that you're gonna get is you're gonna get a deeper relationship with God. See, the holier that you live, the closer you are to him. I understand that God forgives us of all of our sins. He's there for us all the time. He never leaves or forsakes us. He loves you unconditionally. Here's the kicker that a lot of people don't think about. That when you live in a place where you allow sin into your life, it's not that God is far from you. It's that you are far from God. He's always there. You just can't see him because you don't want to see him because the other appetite's better. But when we live a life of holiness and we live a life that's right before him and we continually come before him and we mourn over the way we've broken him, you actually get so close to him that you don't want to sin. I mean, the the closer you are to him, the more you recognize the cost that your sins are to him, the less that you want to hurt him. So the less you sin, the deeper your relationship. I think a lot of us today, we're just going, God, I want to I be close to you. I, I want you in my life. I just, I want a deep relationship. He says, it starts by mourning. Getting clear, getting that stuff out of our lives. Here's the fourth thing that, that we learn from Scripture about real mourning. Is that it promises that we'll see like Jesus. Let me just park for a second, because up to this point, most of what I've said is about you vertically, your relationship with Jesus. How do I get right with him? The reality is, that isn't where it ends. That's just where it begins. Again, most of us spend our whole life just trying to get to the beginning point spend our whole life just getting to zero. Where he wants you to live at zero so that when you wake up and you go out, you can actually see the way Jesus sees. You see the city the way Jesus sees the city. You see your friends and their brokenness, and because of that, you begin to see the world as Jesus does, and you actually mourn not only for your own sin, but you begin to mourn for all of society. It's like when Jesus came up to the edge of the city in the triumphal entry in Luke 19, he comes up and he looks over the city and it says, And when he saw the city, it says, And then he wept over it. Not because he wanted people to feel bad or want, okay, you know, go to hell or, you know, fry in your own greed. It's not like he was just trying to, to, to confront or to judge. He just saw the brokenness. He just wanted to heal their heart. He wanted them to see if they would only come to their senses, they could experience the life that they were created to live. And I stop to be honest. You look out in our society today and you look at what's going on today. It's it's scary. You know, I I jump in a police car often these days with a lot of our, our police guys and you go spend 10 hours on that side of life, and you see the drugs and the crime and the prostitution and the sex trafficking. And you see everything that's going on. And your heart just breaks that people are living their life that way. And I begin to actually mourn for them, not just for me. That's a healthy and rightful place to be. That's the kind of church that we want to be. I mean, you look at some of the stuff that we're facing, guys. Put your seatbelt on. We're facing this whole issue with religious liberties versus civil rights. You take a look at what's happening and going on in our society with sanctity of human life or marriage. I mean, there's some battles before us, and we're so scared to touch it because somehow we don't want to offend people. I don't want to. I want to love them. It's not that I want to confront them with my truth. I don't want to see people living with the challenges because they can be free. It's like the truth will set you free. Here's love. I mean, here's grace. If you can just come to this place, you don't have to feel the sorrow and the regret and the depression and the anxiety and the worry and the fear and the discouragement. It doesn't have to be that way. But if we don't do these other three or four things in our world, in our life, we'll never get to the place where we see the world the way that Jesus sees it simply because we're so focused on trying to figure out us. And here's the cool part is as you begin to progress with this thought, and again, this is all wrapped up in Jesus just saying, blessed are those who mourn. (laughs) Sounds so easy. Is here's the coolest part. If you get there, the next promise that you get is the world will actually see us. And Jesus will be seen in us. In other words, that your, your behavior is actually different than the world. That people are so attracted to you because you're different. So Paul said, don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Don't try to fit in. You were never intended to fit in. Now, we want to be relevant, we want to be loving, we want to bless, but we don't want to do all the things they're doing. We got to get to that place where we see a church, or the world sees a church without spot or wrinkle. They see a, a sanctified church, a triumphant church, a glorious church, a, Uh, exuberantly giving church, a sacrificially serving church, a covenantal community church, a powerful church. I mean, everything that we're trying to build here at City Bible Church has to be seen in you because the heart of the church is dependent upon the heart of the people. And if we don't get to that place where we're just mourning and we finally realize that, yes, we've got to get right and clean, we've got to see the world, they'll never see Jesus in us because we're too much like them. Here's a, a daring question. If City Bible Church was filled with people just like you, what kind of church would we have? If everybody thought the thoughts you had, how clean would the airspace be? If everybody gave like you, everybody served like you, everybody shared like you, and really, it's important to understand that because you are critical to the health of us. How you live affects me. How I live affects you. It's not where we just kind of spectate and hop in and get row 13, seat M in the back, nosebleed section, or up here in the front, you know, where you get plow. It's It's like, no, wait a minute. I'm part of this family, I need to shine. I need to have light. I need to touch people. And it's real hard to do that if you don't, first of all, have some clean stuff going on here. Here's one of the greatest things that Jesus promises us. If we get to this place of mourning and dealing with what's in our heart, is that you will live a life of joy. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. It actually means to live an abundant life of exceeding joy. Isn't that what we all want? We have a life of joy. Not only this side of eternity, but for all of eternity. Thank God it says that he's going to wipe away every tear. He's going to take away all pain and sorrow and sickness and disease. We will live for eternity Enjoy. But it comes down to every single one of us coming back to Jesus, having little teaching, a little hillside, wind blowing through the glass, grass, and he just simply says, blessed are those who mourn. Where are you at today? Is there something going on in your world or your life? Maybe Jesus is pinpointing today and saying, let's deal with that today. Let's take something out. Let's just kind of go put it at his feet, break, say, God, I'm sorry, and then let's go live real life. We spend our whole life running from him and not giving him anything when all that he's going to do when you put it there is give you everything you need. But it boils down to you, blessed are those who. choice is yours. It's really yours. Jesus is saying, it's available. Every one of you, you can have it. We sit there and go, well... Not today. Kind of. It's just ours. We want it. Just take it. Would you bow your head? Close your eyes. Forget about the person on the left or the right. You and Jesus. And let me first ask the question when it comes to anybody in this room that has never given their life to Jesus you're kind of at stage one you realize that he promises eternal life it starts with first of all realizing that you broke the heart of God the beauty of it all is you don't have to beat yourself up over it you just have to say I recognize I sin I fall short of his glory Jesus died for me I want to put it all at his feet I want eternal life if that's you this morning you walked in here you've never done that before With every head bowed, all eyes closed, would you just slip your hand up where I can see it, say, Pastor Mark, you're talking to me right now. Just put it up, right now. Who are you? Anybody at all, let me see your hand. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Keep your hand up, I see you in the back. Thank you, thank you, ma'am. I see you, I see you in the back. God bless you, buddy, I see your hand, man. Come on, thank you. I see you back there, buddy, that's awesome. Who else, come on. Just wait for a second, hands all over the place. Thank you, buddy. Come on, who else? Thank you, man. God bless you. Thank you, miss. I see your hand. Thank you, miss. I see your hand. Jesus' name. Can we pray this prayer together? I think it's healthy just to remind all of us of this prayer. Would you pray this prayer? Say, dear Jesus, thank you for dying for me. I recognize that I'm a sinner. I fall short of your glory. Thank you for going to the cross and paying my price for my sin. I ask you now into my heart to be my Lord and Savior, and I confess that I'm born again in the name of Jesus. Come on, would you put your hands together for those that prayed that prayer for the very first time? That's awesome.